That's the sound of the coffee pouring. Welcome to the Doctor's Brew. I'm your host, Dr. Abdelaziz Al-Khayyab, and having coffee with us today is Dr. Hassan Babahani. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. So, uh, for our listeners and viewers out there, today's topic of discussion is going to be about a medical specialty that is often consulted frequently by trainee doctors like myself. I will let you all guess the specialty we are going to talk about by uh, talking, uh, saying a quick story. I had a clinical rotation during medical school with this specialty. And the first thing that they said to me during the rotation is, we don't know how to put cannulas better than you. So stop consulting us about it. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who haven't figured it out by now, of course, I am talking about anesthesiology. Uh, today, we are going to focus on the role of, role of anesthesiology and more specifically pain management and uh, the role it plays in uh, the life of a junior doctor. Um, so uh, with me to discuss this, of course, is Dr. Hassan Babahani, who is a consultant uh, anesthetist specialized in pain management. And uh, he studied in uh, Ireland, Galloway, right, med school, yeah. and specialized in Canada. And you worked in Ontario and Toronto, right? Uh, both the same thing. So Lond fake London, London, fake Ontario, London. Okay. which is uh, in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And then I, that's where I did my anesthesia residency. And then okay. I did a two-year uh, pain residency in Toronto. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Cool. and previously, as you said, Galway in Ireland. Yeah. Right. And uh, you're currently working as a consultant ph a physician uh, in... Yeah, uh, well, considered consultant, but really it's a specialist. Oh, uh, yeah, right. as a specialist in anesthesiology and uh, pain, mm -hmm. in, based in Jabra Hospital. Mm -hmm. I have a clinic once a day in Amiri. Oh, okay. Uh, and the afternoon, uh, private pu the public is in the morning. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Mm -hmm. um, now, before we get into the medical stuff, this is the doctor's brew. Mm -hmm. Brew part. Uh, coffee. Today's coffee, we are drinking from Earth Grocery, right? Okay, yeah. Tell us, what are your thoughts on the coffee? Mm. Uh, it's uh, it's good. Uh, I It's really good, actually, yeah. yeah. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> there <Yeah>. we go. <laughs> the first sin yeah. to, be, uh, to be committed on the doctor's brew. <laughs> yes, yeah, but uh, it's actually good. I've been drinking it um, since coming here, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, Earth Roastery is our partner, um, coffee partners uh, today, and I'm um, loving their coffee. The place itself, it, the aesthetic is amazing. It's in uh, Lai Complex. Lai? Oh, it's actually, uh, I, my wife, I think, likes it. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, also, little thing is the sweets, really good. Um, okay. I was there today, and uh, I ate way too many sweets. Um, bad of a doctor to say that, so <laughs> don't follow suit. Except if it's from Earthros, we are partners. <laughs> uh, okay, so mm. one last sip of coffee, one last sip of water, and let's dive in. Mm. So, big question right at the start. Okay. Why should anybody choose anesthesia? Okay, good question. Well, I'll tell you why did I choose anesthesia. Mm -hmm. um, when I graduated and came back to Kuwait from Ireland, I, I felt kind of lost. I... I didn't do a long elective in, in Galway, in anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, medicine for me was um, too boring. Uh, like l long rounds, long clinics. Very long uh, rounds. Yes, very long rounds, correct. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry, insurance. And then uh, and then the surgery, uh, I like, the, they were long and, and for me too complicated. Right. So, um, 
and I didn't do a lot because I was a junior, just hold a scalpel and everything. So, and then I, um, uh, I feel like it always starts with a mentor. Uh, so I met someone, uh, an anesthesiologist, who mm-hmm. I uh, started talking, and then did an elective, right. uh, and that's how I got into anesthesia. However, uh, in broader terms, after being in anesthesia now. Mm-hmm. I can say that anesthesia is so the word anesthesia itself is just the the intentional um, uh, practice of putting someone unconscious. But anesthesia is much is a much bigger the intentional practice yeah. of putting someone unconscious. Unco- un- uh, yeah, un- uh, yeah, uh, and but anesthesia is a much it's a small term mm. for a much bigger wider speciality. Okay. So in anesthesia, uh, as a resident mm-hmm. uh, or a doctor, I mean as a consultant you deal out with first with so many different specialties mm-hmm. so you, you work with different colleagues from surgeons uh, general surgeons vascular pediatrics uh, obstetrics even medicine mm-hmm. uh, so that's the, that's a huge bonus mm-hmm. number two you deal with different type of patients so you deal with pediatric neonates uh, adults um, and you deal with them at different stages of their lives mm-hmm. uh, different st- uh, moments stressful moments uh, all the way from new birth to uh, if you specialize in pain to comfort measures for example mm-hmm. so like completely wide varieties mm-hmm. it's a mix of uh, science applied physiology pharmacology that's a common thing that we say and a lot of skill mm-hmm. so intubation lines uh, regional which is a huge um, advancement in anesthesia now right. so it's a, sm- it's a nice balance for me at least it's not too much into the hand skills and not too much just science it's 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 applied science and you see your results immediately mm-hmm. so when and a different specialty is treating the blood pressure over two months or one month i'm treating the blood pressure immediately yeah. and seeing the effect it's so rewarding mm-hmm. and even when you put in an epidural for a pregnant lady and and she gets comfort comfortable immediately it's mm-hmm. just I'd, I've done this uh, over my the residency over five years every time I did it it felt good okay. so it didn't change so that you still yet. get the satisfaction now yes exactly so yeah. you don't get you, you haven't got I don't, it I, and I do okay. pain now so I still get satisfaction mm-hmm. um, when and it's very rewarding mm-hmm. uh, even if it's short-lived um, the other things anesthesia is a gateway to other specialties so when you come into anesthesia uh, just like any other specialty, there's regional anesthesia. Like when you go to gastro, there's ad- IBD, um, yeah. advanced colonoscopy, mm-hmm. anesthesia, regional and stuff like that. But also, there's the opportunity to be an, an intensivist, mm-hmm. so go into critical care and manage critical care patients, mm-hmm. and also pain, right? And have your own clinic, uh, and you have Managing more, pain. more of continuity of care with patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of like different personalities. Anesthesia, we do care about patients uh, a lot, and a lot of people think that we're not social. <laughs> to the contrary, uh, <laughs> you have to be very social in a very short period of time. Okay. And you have to, like a patient who's coming very anxious with stage three cancer, for example, coming yeah. for a big surgery, you have to build, build a rapport with this patient in the, in the morning of the surgery. Mm-hmm. So that's a skill uh, and something I enjoy doing on a daily basis. Uh, and when you go home, you still think about your patients, but you don't have that continuity of, uh, like the chronicity of dealing with okay. some of the issues that other right. specialties have. So it's, it's, some people think that it was a bonus mm-hmm. if you're not into anesthesia. So it's short-lived. 
It's short lived, okay. but it's it's intense. No, but that's a great thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, it is. Yeah, yeah like yeah. like, like yeah. you mentioned the the quick reward. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I'll tell you my fear with anesthesia, though. Tell me. Um, yeah. So I'm currently studying for my exams, okay. uh, and uh, I'm doing New World at the moment. Mm-hmm. And Good luck with uh, it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Every time one of those questions pops up about physiology, so like patient is in a surgery. <laughs> And uh, how do you, you know, play with this setting or yeah. I don't know what or what do they need infused? And they give me physiological parameters. Mm-hmm. It just becomes a foreign language. It becomes hieroglyphs, uh, hieroglyphics. Yeah. 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 All melts. Sure. So yeah. <laughs> is, is that do you think is, is anesthesia that bad? I uh, it's actually it's 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 getting it's very simplified. So mm. it, it, there's a lot of physiology in it for sure. 100%, yeah. And it takes a while to get used to it. Mm. But the good. The good thing is you don't have to be a mathematical genius to go to anesthesia. That I was still, my question. I do yeah. my my five plus five on, on the phone. The <laughs> so uh, I still do my percentages like that. But anesthesia does t- teach you some skills mm. uh, to overcome that. Right. And um, it, it slowly builds in. The more you use the medication, the more you use it. It becomes just, just as if you're driving home. You don't need to remember the direction anymore. Mm. You just know how to go home. Mm. Uh, the, the more you read, the more you do. You get there. It's not as hard as people think. Do you yeah. think for uh, like juniors like myself who are you know we're thinking right? So what specialty do we want to go in? And we look back at oop hit the mic there. Uh, we look back at how uh, med school was for us. Mm-hmm. And I think with anesthesia, there's this heavy connection to pre med because again that was when the bulk of physiology was for us. Do you think that someone who is not necessarily because there's a, a lot myself included I was a much better clinical student than pre uh, preclinical sorry not pre-med preclinical student would you say that someone who was not as strong preclinically should be like you stay with No I, I don't I honestly don't think so Really yeah because okay. uh, uh, I was an average student uh, and uh, I'm not sure if, I didn't have a pre they I had like pre I didn't have a pre-med but we didn't have the we didn't go to the hospitals until fourth year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, so yeah, yeah so same kind of same thing. Didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, it's applied physiology. You have to understand the basics. Mm-hmm. But when you realize how much it makes sense, I'll just give you a quick example, like the flow equation, right? Uh, and what affects flow, like mm-hmm. in, a, in a, just a small IV, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the density of the solution, mm-hmm. the ch- the length of the needle, the gauge. That alone just makes you, oh, wow, that, right. like that s- small bit of science mm-hmm. can save my patient's life and, okay. and can give him as much as uh, 300 ml of blood in one minute, right. right? Just by applying an equation. Right. So it's not boring science, mm-hmm. it's fun science. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Most nice. of the time, <laughs> un- unless you're studying for the exam. Right. <laughs> yeah, then it's boring science. <laughs> and uh, with all honesty, all, all honesty, please. Yes. Can you guys cannulate better than us? Uh, probably yes. There we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some of the nurses can cannulate better than me. Like uh, some oh of yeah. yeah, like there's these IV nurses. I've been doing it for for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And plus we have we have a rescue plan. We can always put a central line. So yeah. central lines. Yeah, yeah. always. Yeah. Now th- th- I'm not advocating for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, what does an average day for you uh, on the ward, like in the hospital life, what does that look like? Uh, on the ward or in the operating room? Uh, you know what? That's uh, that that. Sorry, that clicked for me for yeah. a second because I was thinking in the mind of kind of internal medicine. Mm-hmm. 
life on the ward. So what is life in the hospital for you on the week to week? What's your life like? So uh, for interns, just to be clear, we mm-hmm. don't have interns in NCs, obviously, yeah. but they yeah. can do electives with us. And I highly encourage them to do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me as a, sta- as a staff anesthesiologist, I would uh, read up on my patient the day before. Okay. If I'm if I'm in the operating room, I'm not doing my pain clinic mm-hmm. or pain procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, know what procedure is about to happen, mm-hmm. what's the indication, um, and what's the past medical history of the patient. Mm-hmm. Go and prepare it. Mm-hmm. I would go in early morning. Mm-hmm. Um, in Kuwait, we have uh, a meeting uh, to discuss all the, the cases. The morning meeting, yeah, yeah. Yeah, morning meeting. So I would go in the OR, open the lights, uh, make sure all the drugs are ready, mm-hmm. draw on the rug, drugs um, put to put the patient to sleep, um, and the drugs that I need to um, help me with the hemodynamics. And so basically, just in a nutshell, I would prepare the operating room for the preparation who has already been optimized and prepared for the surgery. Mm-hmm. And I would prepare my surgeon, have the quick communication either before if it's a big case or during the day um, about the position, what's needed, um, and so on. Mm-hmm. Once that's done in the, OR, in the OR, I would go and speak to the patient, confirm all the information is accurate. Uh, comfort the patient, make sure the patient's not superbly anxious. So you, you communicate with the patient? Oh yeah, okay. I would spend, uh, and I always encourage the presence to do that. So I would talk to the patient, take a quick history. If the patient is, I think, you know, uh, will take a joke or two, I, w- I would do that. If not, <laughs> then I would just like keep it professional. I like that, I, yeah. I like that very so, much. Yeah, and um, comfort them. Mm-hmm. I tell them exactly what's gonna happen today. Okay. Uh, that we are moving, even as simple as we are moving to the operating room, we are placing you in a different bed, a cold environment. We are going to put leads on you, like because they feel like a robot. Like they go in and everyone's spreading their hands, mm-hmm. uh, applying the blood pressure, and they're like, "Oh, what's happening?" And they feel sometimes they feel demonized. Like, true. Uh, why is this all happening? But all do you think sudden? anything needs to be left out? Uh, no, nothing should be left out. Mm-hmm. It should be. Uh, uh, blunt and uh, accurate with, with like with empathy mm-hmm. uh, but you shouldn't hide anything the patient is an adult or like yeah. can make decisions uh, and they've already consented for the surgery yeah. so yeah we explain everything if I'm going to put lines where is the mm-hmm. patient going to go post-operatively are they going to go to the floor or right. are they going to go to the ICU confirm mm-hmm. that they're okay with blood having blood if needed mm-hmm. Complete, uh, take informed consent of any procedures I'm about to do um, tell them how am I going to manage the pain intraoperatively or, or postoperatively. Right. And if I'm going to put up an epidural, thoracic mm-hmm. epidural, or any mm-hmm. other nerve blocks. And yeah, I would do that. Um, start my case. Um, do a pause with the surgeon, make sure everything is okay. Do the mm-hmm. case. Um, so it's, uh, a lot of people say this boring, yet true. It's like a takeoff landing and, yeah. um, I mean, takeoff cruising and landing. Yeah. So, and then the case goes on usually hopefully uh, uh, smoothly mm-hmm. uh, if not then we're ready to we're manage we're monitoring every heartbeat mm-hmm. literally every heartbeat mm-hmm. and the OR and then if we need to and we would intervene and then we wake up the patient and, uh, and sometimes it's always not always a steep patient right lots of time we do just do a block yeah. have you struggled communication wise with patients because um, I I've I've consented patients for anesthesia before Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Well, sorry. No, I haven't consented. I started the consent process because that was kind of part of getting the consent for the procedure. Yes, gotcha. Um, And I I mean, generally, I don't. There, there is a mistrust in Kuwait. We know that there's a mistrust in Kuwait 
for uh, doctors and for mm. medicine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I blame WhatsApp for, for okay. 90% of it. <laughs> uh, have you faced this issue? Uh, there's there's a, a misunderstanding uh, and lack of awareness or uh, yeah as you just as you just said mm-hmm. some some messages that get out mm-hmm. uh, the wrong messages so there's always a, a in, in a small minority that that happens mm-hmm. and uh, I remember that especially when I when I was an intern because mm-hmm. uh, if they don't see the consultant early enough they're worried they're like yeah. What's happening? Are you just going to practice on me and stuff like that? Yeah. So it's important to try to send the message out clearly mm-hmm. um, and answer any questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how I would try to overcome it. doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, I would inform my senior for advice and so on. But um, there's there, definitely there's some mistrust, especially that the vision of the country is not clear. So. The, a lot mm-hmm. of people who are sick get sent abroad and and so on. That's true. Yeah. So so people are like, why do I need to be sent abroad? If, is that mean? Is it because the healthcare system is not good? Mm. Yeah, to the contrary, I'm sure we have some deficiencies. Yeah, of course. But uh, naturally, like any other, just place. like any other place, it's yeah, a yeah. learning curve. So yeah. Yeah, uh, that uh, that's interesting. That the messaging about the country, you know, to the country people, is it's it's unclear because it's true. We we send all of our. Like our graduates go to Canada, yeah, to the yeah. States, and even in Kuwait, and even our boards are being sorry, slowly getting recognized. Accredited by the Canadians exactly. uh, and others, yeah. And uh, so we have, we're trying to have the foundation. Yeah. It's just, uh, I think, mixed signals are being sent. Right, right. And I don't blame the public sometimes for the mistrust. Yeah. 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 But yeah. We tr- I think with some education mm-hmm. and and, and programs like these, you know, like uh, hopefully podcasts like these, uh, the message will get sent out. That's sure. th- th- that's what I, w- I just wanted to ask mm-hmm. is how do we counteract because we have misinformation going on on WhatsApp and just from conversation, which again is natural. This is not necessarily an abnormal thing. Mm-hmm. How do we counter? I think we should just continue talk, continue the conversation, continue talking, Keep continue talking. to educate. Don't dismiss the patients. Mm-hmm. Don't dismiss their concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if it was me, I would be anxious as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. getting put to sleep is yeah, it's, it's scary. Kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, okay. This is kind of a weird question. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, have I? Uh, no, no. Yeah. I have a weird okay. question for yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, this is a really weird question. Mm-hmm. Psychologically, yes. Is it not? Was it not crazy for you to kind of just see like, I'm basically taking this human being. I don't want to say you're making them dead. But you know what I mean? I'm putting him in a coma. And there I, we go. Yeah, yes. Like literally in a coma. Yeah. I, I remember, like, for me, the first time in med school, like in the anatomy lab, the mm-hmm. first time uh, I remember it was uh, I leaned back and I just fo- I felt a cadaver's uh, foot on me. And I had my heart skipped <laughs> a beat and I went, oh, wait, this is the only place in the world where this is okay. This yes. is normal. <laughs> yes. Psychologically, was that an experience for you to Yeah, kind of we would like, get, the, well, we, uh, like, with colleagues, we always get, like, um, Abuse for we are the doctors with the drugs, with, you know, with the good stuff, whatever, whatever, whatever they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't generally abuse them, um, but uh, it's 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 actually a huge responsibility mm-hmm. taking someone and putting them into literally a coma. Yeah, yeah, uh, a controlled coma. Yeah, uh, it's a huge responsibility. That's why anesthesia has always been associated with safety. Mm. So the practice of anesthesia is always. Uh, safety has always been the number one thing in anesthesia. That's why we're always compared to pilots, because mm. we always have a set of protocols to follow whenever s- something doesn't go well. Right. And we depend a lot on machines, mm-hmm. uh, ventilators. Mm-hmm. So 
yes, it is kind of psychologically scary yeah. or weird, like, but but all physicians have a responsibility for safety. Right. But it's just a different way. Surgeons cut people open, yeah, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm taking a, a small, uh, different part, mm-hmm. but it just adds more weight and makes you, um, uh, um, you know, uh, thankful that someone trusted you to do that. Yeah, of course. Um, now, circling back to, we talked about kind of what it looks like for you in the hospital. Yes. You know, uh, now, clinic-wise, what do what do your clinics look like? Okay, so in general. Uh, in anesthesiology, most mm-hmm. of the time is spent in the operating room. Mm-hmm. However, anesthesia, I would say, does not start in the operating room. It starts okay. outside of the operating room in the pre-op clinic. Or the, right. the um, in other countries, they call the admis- pre-admission clinic. Right. So this is where you optimize your patients for the upcoming surgery. Right. Make sure everything is accurate. Right. Uh, in my practice, because I have a pain degree, I also have a pain clinic. Right. Where I see different kind of... Um, Patients with pain, chronic post-surgical pain, cancer pain, uh, neuropathic pain, and like lumbar disc pain or uh, peripheral joints. Mm. So uh, I do that on Tuesdays in Jabal uh, and Wednesdays with Amiri. And uh, it's, uh, it's a totally different dynamic, mm. um, you know, because as a, an anesthesiologist, you usually see the patient once, right. maybe see them in the OR, unless it's a recurrent surgery. Mm. This is more chronicity. You see the patient regularly. Chronic you do the pain medication. Management, yeah. You might do a procedure. Mm. Um, so that's a pain clinic. Um, you know, actually talking about pain clinics, I never truly appreciated the role of pain management until uh, my my father, uh, God rest his soul, uh, he w- he had cancer. And I the pain, uh, he I think he visited you. Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, someone asked me but he was with also another good pain physician right um but uh, uh continue sorry yeah, yeah sorry it's yeah. just that that was when i truly understood the role of pain management we shared subhanallah we shared a very similar story mm-hmm. so my dad uh, was diagnosed with metastatic cancer mm-hmm. during my last year of anesthesia residency um, so very similar stories yeah, right yes yeah and okay. i saw how much the pain and i was uh, that year i was applying to the pain management Right, to okay. the pain pregnancy program, mm-hmm. and I got accepted actually at his last two weeks mm-hmm. or last four weeks. And it was oh, very happy. But anyway, I saw how much the pain management changed his behavior, Absolutely. his attitude with us, uh, and how happy he was that I w- like of the outcome. So, mm-hmm. despite all the anxiety, depression mm-hmm. that comes with and the suffering, mm-hmm. but that changed my perspective completely. I initially, I just wanted to do. Uh, the pain residency program because I want to do procedures. Right. But now I'm more interested in cancer pain. Do you think that um, your experience with your dad impacted? 100%. Okay. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Just changed my whole perspective mm. and uh, just showed me how, how much we can, how ch- how much change we can do. Yeah. Uh, and especially in, in this country. Right. Uh, where we have a severe lack of all specialties, not just mm. pain. Mm. But, and, and remember when I talked about rewarding feeling? Yeah. It is rewarding, but there's nothing that can like the patient getting better is, mm-hmm. is and like suddenly able to walk able mm-hmm. to eat and able to go home yeah and just able to go home not have ivs is just um priceless like uh, it's for me i remember i forgot which consultant but he told me he says opioids yeah are the re- revolutionized cancer treatment 
And that was something that I never clicked. I was like, mm -hmm. it, I, I thought he was going to say chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Right. Pain management. Pain ma yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everything is important, but mm -hmm. yeah, a, a pain is underestimated in, in cancer management, for sure. Definitely, definitely. And uh, the, the effect on the quality of life is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and you get, they get to spend the last yeah. important months, uh, you know, uh, comfortable. much more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But, you know, one thing that my dad, uh, one issue my dad had with uh, pain management-wise was there was a psychological element of he just hated taking so many drugs. Of course, yeah. yeah. Like this happens even with the chronic condition, like patients right. with hypertension, diabetes, or, or getting older. They just hate the fact they're mm -hmm. taking a lot of drugs. And with cancer patients, uh, the side effects of opioids, mm -hmm. the nausea, the vomiting, uh, the interaction, the hallucinations, delusions. So I don't blame them. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's hard. It's very mm -hmm. hard. So that's why we have advances in cancer pain management. We have... Um, now um, something called the morphine pumps where you yeah. put a small much smaller dose oh it's a smaller dose yeah it's a smaller dose but the effect is much bigger because it's oh, right. directly on where it needs to go on this on the in the csf oh, so cool. the action will be much bigger very cool with a much smaller dose, less side effects okay uh, they could have uh, other means for mm -hmm. example uh, of pain management a nerve block for example mm -hmm. so we try to reduce the resilience on medications as right. much as possible and right. that's why there's a multimodal approach okay uh, i'm sure that we when we when we were juniors like the who ladder yeah that's yeah, why yeah, you yeah. have to try to try to not escalate quickly unless mm -hmm. needed obviously right so panadol and other medications first and what do you think about i i once heard that i forgot which uh, again a lot of doctors in my life who've, who've given me <laughs> advice so if i yes, get yes. if i forget I, I apologize but someone told me that regular paracetamol or acetaminophen um it, it, when taken at dose uh, like a, at a regular schedule is an extremely effective uh, yes, pain so uh, that's actually very good uh, we say uh, around the clock so okay. uh, it's a very simple medication mm -hmm. uh, the side effects very rare yeah and uh, the interactions almost never happen. Yeah. Unless the patient has obviously end-stage renal failure, then you have to be careful. And you have to be careful about the dose. Mm -hmm. But multimodal approach starts with medication like uh, acetaminophen. So right. so around the, and around the clock, I've seen a lot of people, uh, when I uh, round on acute pain service, mm -hmm. patients, they're not around the clock. Right. They wait for the patient to ask for the medication, the, which yeah. is a kind of not the correct practice. Yeah. Uh, in acute acute pain, mm -hmm. it should be around the clock right. in most instances, and uh, uh, it doesn't have to always be IV. So in Kuwait, we have the luxury of having IV acetaminophen. Yeah. So it's actually if the patient can swallow and everything, maybe we think about going oral. Like, Do you think yeah. it's the in terms of um, from a pain perspective, is there any difference for acetaminophen or paracetamol? Uh, IV versus oral. I've actually good question because I've just recently searched this oh. uh, like <laughs> a month ago or so. Cool. The difference is not huge uh, okay. compared to the cost. The cost is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, so usually oral is more than enough. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Especially postoperatively when the patient can uh, tolerate oral meds and mm. oral medication generally mm -hmm. lasts in the body longer than IV medication. Okay. So an IV medication when you take it, you give an IV medication, you get the pain which was here goes down quickly, mm -hmm. but then comes back with oral medication. Usually, that 
curve is more mm. depending how often you give it obviously do you think though that there's a placebo effect sort of with patients i think i think definitely yeah there's a placebo okay effect. very yeah, cool when <laughs> they see the ampule like hanging uh, yeah i i see that often because mm-hmm. i see a lot of patients with sometimes advanced cancer pain mm-hmm. where the where you expect them to have a lot of pain mm-hmm. and they uh, but the, when they see the Perfogan, I mean, sorry, IVS to Venefin. That's one of the first things I learned in trainee year, Perfogan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they're happy. Mm-hmm. And of course, we, you have to be mm-hmm. the patient. But there's definitely, in pain, there's a lot of placebo effects. Right. And because pain is associated with a lot of psychological right. uh, uh, manifestations as well. Right, so yeah, yeah. It's normal. Like I remember, for for me, I I played on the um, also in terms of translation. Um, oh, that, yeah, that uh, was that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I I'd say in that you know I'd go I'd say this is um I'd say perfogan is a musekin. Yes, yes. And I felt like musekin. I don't know if I'm wrong here, yeah. but for me, when someone says musekin, it's much stronger than if in English. You know, when you say, "Oh, this is IV." Yes, yes, exactly. This this is gonna take the pain away. That's yeah, what yeah. Just and I, I, the second I say that yeah. term, they just go, "Oh, okay, right, right, I'm right. gonna get better now." Yeah. But if I told them, "Hak habitin benadol." Yes, yeah, like, is that what you're going to give me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, you, you touched up on the psychological uh, effect Correct. of pain. And uh, I know that pain, at least this is what they taught us f- for me in Manchester, was that there's the, the physical side of pain, which is that, you know, they're feeling pain and whatever, but also there's a psychological interpretation of pain, which is a whole other thing. Uh, yeah, so pain yeah. is uh, subjective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so subjective feeling. Uh, p- uh, pain is what the patient says it is. Yeah. So... Uh, it's important to respect that mm-hmm. and obviously uh, continue taking a thorough assessment. Right. But uh, the the psychology is a essential part of pain management. Mm-hmm. It was part of everyone's residency when they did pain. Really? Yeah. I did a two-month, uh, I think two-month uh, 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 rotation. Um in pain, mm-hmm. I mean in psychology, uh, mm-hmm. psychiatry, mm-hmm. and a two-month in addiction, something like that. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, and the whole exam was full of questions, and my actual practice. Right. Um, so you can understand the psychology course, behind the yeah, pain we, and help manage it. Um, they, we refer patients to them, and they refer patients to us. Well, that's actually, I was wondering that. Do we do that in Kuwait? I, we do that in Kuwait. Okay. The only issue is that, uh, and this is everywhere in the world, mm-hmm. it's very expensive to have a interdisciplinary practice. Really? So the, the I inter- didn't factor that in. Yeah, yeah, so the difference between multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary is where everyone together are managing the same patient. Right. Well, multidisciplinary is when you refer to, like you work together, but in, you're referring them. So what happens in general is they get lost in the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you all go see the psychiatrist and then come back to me okay. instead of us communicating directly mm-hmm. about this patient. Mm-hmm. So it happens great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying. Uh, not every hospital has a psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. Not every hospital has a pain physician. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they have to go to different hospitals. Mm. Uh, but I try to, whenever I have a patient, the first, um, during the feedback, the first 10 minutes or 5 minutes, I try to spend it on... I have time. Uh, I'll try to do it. My best is pain education. Mm. Uh, a lot of patients say, "Oh, uh, I do you think that I'm just feeling the pain is in my head?" I will say, "No, the pain is not just in, in your head. You actually have physical pain, but where does everything go at the end of the day? It goes in to your brain. Head, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so taking care of your brain is an essential part of taking 
get rid of your pain. Do you think that pain is also cultural? Uh, different cultures, uh, uh, different cultures actually have different um, expectations of what pain is. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. in the U.S., for example, uh, when they finish an orthopedic surgery or whatever, they are usually easily prescribing opioids. Right. And in some other countries, uh, developing countries, they might go home with NSAIDs, non-steroid. Really? Yes. Yeah. Germany, I think, which is a dual countries, and near places sometimes they don't give strong opioids. Wow. And um, Asian countries as well, I think the even in Kuwait, the reliance on opioids is much less compared to the Western society. Yeah. Really? So, That's interesting. So there, I'm sure there's a bit of culture. Mm-hmm. I did not investigate that thoroughly to mm-hmm. not make assumptions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, someone it's because um, a colleague of mine on the wards told me that um, that someone in his unit or consultant or I'm not sure yeah. was saying how when, for example, Persian patients, mm-hmm. when a Persian patient tells you they have chest pain, that means that it is a massive MI uh, yeah. intervene because <laughs> they, they tolerate pain. Yeah. Well, <laughs> some people tolerate pain. Well. Yeah, yeah. I guess that could be possibly true. Yeah. 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 Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm sure there's been research done on this. I'm like certain <laughs> I should look into it. Um, now, uh, going to, we mentioned addiction. And I think a big thing that for us juniors that we struggle with, especially with pain, yeah. will be, of course, sickle cell anemia. So ca- so if you can kind of give us first a background of how what sickle cell anemia, the management of it, the approach in Kuwait is like. Okay. So I'm, I'm just want to highlight one point. I'm yeah. glad you said addiction when you said sickle cell. Yeah. Because they're two very different things. Yeah. 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 So and a lot of times we assume that the sickle cell patient is addicted. Mm-hmm. But that's not no. the correct thing. Yeah. A lot of them are actually in pain and yeah. require medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them do end up um, getting physical dependence. Mm-hmm. Although, if they were managed well initially, mm-hmm. that risk is much less yes. than when yes. than when poorly managed mm-hmm. and labeled as addicted. Yeah. So in general, um, uh, I wasn't here a long time ago, but mm-hmm. the management is sh- shifting mm-hmm. now. And they have we have a committee from the Ministry of Health, really, from a hematologist, a mm-hmm. pain specialist, internist, pediatrics, mm-hmm. to try to come up with a plan, because obviously sickle cell, like I have, in the last two years I've seen more sickle cell patients than I've seen in all my practice in Canada. Really, yes, it's it's prevalent in quite more. Of so course, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Of, you know we have, uh, we have um, um, the culture. Reasons and marriages and everything. People oh, get uh, more, more consanguineous. Yes, um, uh, marriages. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you get more risk of sickle cell. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to come up with a plan, mm-hmm. and a protocol has been established by the Ministry of Health. Mm-hmm. Uh, I encourage every um, um, junior or senior doctor to to inquire about that. Yeah. So in general, what happens is that the patient with sickle cell crisis, uh, acute pain crisis, yeah, comes into the hospital, has to manage within the hour. Mm. Um, with a multimodal approach uh, and if need be uh, a narcotic based um, IV dosing initially um, at weight based right uh, and once that uh, is done in the ward and it's, it's just not a single dose like every four hours for mm-hmm, example mm-hmm. 10 milligram of morphine for example maximum every four hours and if need be and patient is still in a lot of pain the all protocol used to say consult anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Abdul Rahman Faris uh, is the uh, uh, a 
I'm named Nopric here, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, the uh, head of the NSC's department in Amiri. Mm-hmm. S- said that's lacking, so he instructed us to come up with a different plan mm-hmm. or a further plan. So what we did is check the updates and we included the patient-controlled analgesia, which is a PCA where the patient can give his self-medication. So if he exceeds that amount, then we could consult anesthesia for a PCA. Right. Uh, patient-controlled analgesia. Hopefully that will be implemented on all the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it will help the patients. The key in the sickle cell management is to recognize it early mm-hmm. and management well to mm-hmm. avoid the chronicity of the disease. Now, I'm sure also in your clinic you must also come across uh, drug-seeking behavior. I do, of course. Yeah. So what would you advise for juniors for us, especially with um, uh, with uh, sickle cell patients, to differentiate between drug-seeking behavior versus, uh, you know, um, actual pain crisis, or usually it's a gray area of both. Yeah, so it's, very, it's a very thin line yeah. to try and come up with reasons why the patient's in pain. Yeah. So uh, we always assess pain, not just for, for some reason, for um, instance, and sometimes you think, oh, the patient is not in pain because he's not tachycardic or not yeah. hypertensive, not, not necessarily true. Yeah. Uh, we, when we treat pain, mm-hmm. the main reason we treat pain is to improve the function. So okay. functionality of the patient is yeah. better. It's not just a number. Yeah. Uh, what's your pain? 10 out of 10, but you're doing everything you want in your life. That's, I take that. You're fine. Yeah, but yeah. if your pain is zero out of, like one out of 10, but you're not moving out of bed, mm-hmm. that's bad. Right. So in terms of, it's a very thin line of deciding who's seeking and what. Mm-hmm. In the chronic pain clinic, we can do urine tr- truck screen, um, opiate safe prescribing, don't give a prescription for more than like a week or dispensing or a month. Uh, so these are the ways. In in the floor, in the acute setting, um, ideally, if the patient is in pain, we should manage the pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, the old practice of giving, for example, I'll say it bluntly, of normal saline flush, that's not acceptable anymore. Yeah. Right. And okay. just to, because the patient, is, I think, is seeking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so in terms of us juniors, uh, is there anything in terms of stepping up management? Who do you think should be stepping up pain-wise? Because I'm thinking on call, it's 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Patient is already on a regular opioid regimen, okay. and they are in pain. And you know, how you, you, you'll know how when they get in Both, pain, the, yeah, yeah. just the screaming. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, yeah. it appeals to you on a human level. Of course, I see it. So uh, who should do this step up, do you think? Uh, so ideally, there should be a pain specialist in the hospital. Okay. Because um, not all anesthesiologists are experienced pain specialists. Yeah. Um, if that doesn't exist, then I think most hospitals will rely on anesthesia. Okay. And if so that's, that's an indication for us to get anesthesia involved? I would involved. say yes. Okay. I would, I would say most of the time, yes. So it's not something that, for example, uh, uh, junior doctors should be handling or deciding upon? The junior doctor should assess mm-hmm. thoroughly, mm-hmm. make sure uh, the, they've scanned all of the causes, they've, they've checked that there's no other some um, internal cause, right. um, they've checked with hematology, if right. you're talking about sickle cell or anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've checked anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, uh, if that has happened, mm-hmm. and they've discussed the case with their senior, mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still unable to manage the pain, and they're scared of increasing the dosages, yeah. then I think there's no harm in uh, consulting. Consulting. A, a pain physician, ideally, or an anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Now, another situation that junior doctors face, uh, uh, often face is uh, post-op. 
Yes. Post-op pain uh, management. What's your advice for us to be aware of? Like, uh, what's something that w- should be in the forefront of a junior's mind when they're going and see their patient post-op in pain? Okay. So the first thing is you have to understand what surgery did the patient have. Okay. Does this pain make sense? So well, did mm. they have an open, open, uh, open uh, midline uh, lapotomy, uh, midline incision? Uh, is it was it a laparoscopic surgery? Um, so because you know. Th- even laparoscopic surgery can be painted, painful. Yeah. They can yeah, have yeah, yeah. shoulder pain, distension, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, is the pain uh, an alarming sign of something else happening, mm. like a perforated viscous or mm-hmm. something else? So um, you shouldn't just treat the pain as, oh, this is pain, what pain meds should I give? Mm-hmm. So first, assess the patient, review, understand the surgery that they had, review the records, um, check the vital signs, obviously. Um, Check if they have a epidural uh, catheter in place. Uh, if if they have one, mm-hmm. we, we can uh, check if it's working. Is it alarming? Um, what pain meds is the patient on? Is he taking the pain meds? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want. Uh, we don't like to think of as as mentioned earlier, pain as a, just a number. Right. What's your pain, and that's it. No, you have to think of a multi-dimensional way. Of managing pain which is hard because pain is as we said subjective yeah um, so these are the things that we should think about mm-hmm. and is the patient on appropriate medication to the appropriate surgery mm-hmm. um, and so these are the things that we should be thinking and if not then we can escalate either by as we said multimodal panadol yep. non-steroidals if there's no contraindications mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, weak or strong opioids mm-hmm. uh, should be given Right and um, and um, and I I always encourage people to say, well, for example, if they're gonna give morphine, don't just say morphine SOS or morphine PRN. Right. Morphine every four hours PRN. Like How have come, a what's time. A, what's the difference between saying you know um, every four you know like setting that? Yeah, because a lot of times they say uh, I get calls and I say what is the patient on, and they say oh the patient is on for example morphine or oxycodone SOS. Right. What does that mean? Right. Is it every hour? Is mm. it every three hours? Is it oral? Is it IV? Yeah. Uh, so they have to, they have to be very specific because mm. we need to calculate the whole twenty four hour requirements right. before escalating, changing anything else. Right. Okay. Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember actually when you said uh, calculate. I sorry, I got a flashback to med school <laughs> <laughs> and opioid conversion calculation. <laughs> so a little bit of PTSD that just uh, shot through me there. We also <laughs> have those PTSDs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, speaking of uh, pain is a number. Give me your honest opinion on this. Mm-hmm. Does the pain rating question actually work? Uh, I don't. It doesn't work on its own. Okay. No, See so that? Yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah, because <laughs> I've seen patients. I uh, say, and it's also how do you ask the question? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what's your pain zero out of ten? That like, you have. You have to be very specific. What's your pain? They get mad at me. A few 10. patients have gotten mad at me. They go. Yeah, I don't know. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have to say and zero no pain whatsoever and 10 is a pain that probably brings you back to emergency mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even then it's difficult to say so because someone's 10 out of 10 pain and he doesn't and he's talking to you comfortably not coming to the emergency yeah that's someone what I mean. else is like four out of 10 pain and he's in the er mm-hmm. with a lot of pain so it's it's i said very subjective mm-hmm. it's better to use multiple tools yep 
and history taking and physical exam is, is vital. And note taking wise, let's say a patient like like you said, patient is really relaxed in bed, like in bed, mm-hmm. they're smiling, they're eating, and you tell them, so how's the pain? And they go, oh my god, yeah. ten out of ten, <laughs> oh my. I so, see a lot of junior frustration. <laughs> yeah. So what what do you type down? Because I I don't want to lie and say. Yeah, I, you can you can just say what it said. Uh, patient complaining of pain, uh, but uh, so that's what I said. Uh, patient, uh, it's important to ask the patient, are you in pain, and then mm-hmm. check the functionality. Right. Are they walking after bed? Okay. Because uh, you want to decanalize everything. You want to move the IV. You want to move the folic acid. You want to send them home. So are they moving after bed? Are they walking? Are they eating? So that's very important. How are they doing? Are they coughing? Because because pain managing pain is people think managing pain is just related to surgery. Managing pain decreases risk of MI postoperatively, yeah. yeah. decreases risk of pneumonia from splinting postoperatively, mm-hmm. um, decreases the risk of psychiatric uh, co- uh, sequelae, so yeah, PTSD, yeah. depression, anxiety from further surgeries, mm. um, and finally, poorly managed pain is an increased risk for chronic pain. Mm. Okay. So, uh, how, what do you write? You write that patient says he's in pain, let's say five out of ten, but is able to feed, eat, walk, and so on. So and so it's just context. That's context, the key. Context. Yeah. And if they're not bothering, like they're not constantly asking for pain meds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you take it as it is. Yeah. And uh, with all honesty, do you still use Socrates? Uh, I still do Socrates, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not joking. I, okay. I still forget sometimes. Yeah, so it's sight, onset, uh, radiation. Yeah. It's <laughs> such, oh, I yeah, used to love in med school yeah. whenever uh, I had an anoski the pain uh, station. Yeah, yeah. I used to get so happy because like, I'd sit back, <laughs> I'd just go, oh. Yeah, just like, sight, yeah. <laughs> onset. Yeah, yeah. No, it's still good. Yeah. It's still good. Actually, I'm surprised when I ask someone, and they don't say Socrates. Like, I'm like, oh. It's an amazing mnemonic. I love it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, uh, next part about Mm -hmm. juniors and anesthesia. Correct. Yes. Consulting anesthesia. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, do you think that a difficult cannula is a valid reason to consult? I know you guys are probably better, but do you think it's a valid consult? I think, depending on the context, Mm. uh, it could potentially be a valid consult. Mm -hmm. I think there are some skills... Uh, that all doctors, regardless, regarding of specialties, mm-hmm. should have, mm-hmm. uh, such as uh, IV insertion, nasogastric insertion, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, these are some skills that all doctors should have, uh, and consulting anesthesia for them, and have worldwide, so mm-hmm. just in Kuwait, mm-hmm. uh, to insert them uh, is not always valid. Yeah, it has to go through a process. Yeah, the uh, the nursing should team have tried, the junior has tried, ideally the senior should have tried. The problem is, uh, I'm being frank, we mm-hmm. live in a society, in a medical society where mm-hmm. the seniors don't have experience, mm. uh, more than the nursing, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they feel like, oh, well, why, why do you call me, just call an anesthesia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, so if you want to change something, we should work on changing it. So, right. so for now, I understand when they consult us, yes, I'm a bit frustrated because no one else tried. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but sometimes that's just a waste of time or they're just going to poke the patient for no reason. Uh, so a waste of resources. Yeah. Hmm. So what we should do, and uh, some doctors try to do that, is create a boot camp, for example. Oh, um, okay. IV nursings uh, um, with, with anesthesiologists mm-hmm. 
and they would round on on the floors, mm -hmm. teach residents, teach um, even seniors mm -hmm. how to insert IVs, what's the technique, mm -hmm. practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. Then these people would graduate from this boot camp and no need to call anesthesia. And they can train other people. Train other people. Yeah, and yeah. it carries on. And uh, I'll give you a, an example. Mm -hmm. um, name dropping again. Mm -hmm. uh, so I worked with an uh, endocrine surgeon. Mm -hmm. Some months of fun. Excellent guy. He finished from Ireland, went to the US, came back. And we worked together a lot in Jabber and other hospitals. Every time in the OR, he comes in and says, like, oh, you're going to put an IV? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the IV. He <laughs> takes in the hand and I'm, I'm so frustrated because I barely get... You know, I work with a lot of juniors, so they want to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, no, I want to do it. And then he puts a 14 gauge comfortably. And then when I ask him how, he said, oh, I was in, when I was in Ireland, we did that boot camp thing. Right. And it just lived with him. And he's a consultant surgeon. He doesn't need to do that. Mm. But he enjoys doing it. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, that, that must be a very useful skill. I noticed here in Kuwait, we don't do, the juniors don't do even cannulas, normal. Yeah, which yeah. is, f which is which is a skill that uh, will be will serve them well. Yeah, uh, I mean it was yeah. hammered in in the uh, for us in med school in exactly, the UK. Yeah. But here uh, it's, it's sad not to drop off. So yeah. so yes, consulting at sometimes is very valid. Mm -hmm. But the right thing to do is for us to instead of just saying don't call us. Yeah. Okay, well how about we change the culture? Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And more on consults. Uh, what do you want to see in a consult when someone's consulting you because for me when I've written consults before, um, I followed a lot of the format that I did in the UK. Mm -hmm. But I've heard a lot of mixed advice. On one hand, I've heard keep it short, brief, they don't have time. And on the other hand, no, write everything. And I've also been frustrated with, I write a big consult, took me half an hour to write, and then I get a phone call right when I'm clocking out saying, hey, can you tell me everything that you just wrote? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh I'm, I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong. I don't know. But mm -hmm. I don't think any consult should take 30 minutes to, to write. Okay. Uh, it should, it should, there should be a question. Mm -hmm. And like I, I, a lot of times I get a consult and it's a history taking. Right. Like the patient just mentioned what the patient has. Okay. But there's no question. Like uh, okay. what's the exact question? That's the most important thing. What's the I, exact question? Yeah, we can mm -hmm. go and take. I, I, think, I think what you're trying to say is that there's mix. Some people just want a short question. And say people what the whole they thing want the context, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think a, a question, briefly, uh, while summarizing what the patient has, mm -hmm. without necessarily giving the whole past medical history. That's my job. Okay. To go and take the past medical history, past surgical history, and so on. Right. And then formulate a plan. Okay. So see, that's that's a, that's useful to know. Yeah, that's what I think. Uh, mm -hmm. What a consult should be. A consult should be a question that's direct and uh, um, appropriately. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so, uh, focusing mostly on the question. Mostly on the question, mm. with mentioning important aspects that are related to the consult. Okay. Not necessarily the whole history. The whole, no. okay. So, focus history. Yes. And uh, now another issue that we have as juniors. Uh, we've touched, uh, we spoke about this briefly before starting the, uh, the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the rushing issue. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for our viewers out there, this is a very common situation you're going to have. Let's say you're in internal medicine and your patient needs a colonoscopy and they need anesthesia clearance. This is the worst thing that could ever happen because you're in the middle as a junior internist. You give me a lot of flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have to sync up between internal medicine because they're rounding or whatever. Then you need to sync up with gastro because they're doing the colonoscopy. And then you need to sync up with anesthesia. The issue that I've found specifically with 
anesthesia working has been there's been pressure on both ends where anesthesia is obviously like over i appreciate they have a huge list Mm -hmm. and they're busy and then on the other hand we have the internist saying get this patient to the colonoscopy so they can be discharged so they don't get a hospital acquired infection Mm -hmm. and then you're in the middle what's your advice Okay, so uh, I remember as a junior, uh, we used to like brutally harass the radiologist to go to the radiologist. <laughs> what the, what's the results? What the results? We want to mm-hmm. pl- make a plan, and they're like, I'm, I'm trying to read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or because because we're pressured by the by whoever we're working with yeah. to have everything ready by the afternoon. Yeah. So I think it's it's frustrating because there's no uh, like it's not a loop. Mm. It's not going full circle. Yes, you're. It's fragmented. Yeah, um, and you mentioned a very important point, and it's all specialties, including anesthesia, are, have a very busy schedule. Yes, one of the main reasons is that we see almost we see that almost every patient patient going for surgery or colonoscopy is being currently being seen by anesthesia mm. uh, and being investigated by anesthesia. Yep. So blood count, CBC, um, despite the updated guidelines to not do that. So ideally, mm. yeah, ideally we don't need to see every patient before surgery. For example, I'm pretty sure you're a pretty healthy guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would call you an ACA1, which is an American Society of Anesthesia Scoring. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, for people who are completely healthy. Uh, these patients do not need to be seen prior to surgery, and more importantly, do not need to have investigations done. Mm. So currently, if you do that, the colonoscopy will be canceled, just FYI. Yeah, if you don't let the anesthesia see the patient and do the investigation. But what we are trying to do at the um, anesthesia council level mm-hmm. is come up with a new plan, updated one, whereby patients who are healthy uh, for elective procedures, um, even urgent procedures that are minor or not necessarily uh, critical, do not need to be seen by anesthesia prior hand uh, and according to the guidelines and go ahead for the surgery. Mm-hmm. So that will help a lot. That will take at least, I'm, I'm guessing, 30 40% of the Just workload. reduce the patient burden just that reduce way. reduce the burden, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not happening now. For <laughs> now, you might have to just go through this labor-intensive process. So that will bother I'll do my <laughs> best in my hospital to make sure they listen to you guys. Now, uh, tell us what's your biggest pet peeve consult. What's that? Uh, like sorry. something that just annoys you. You do not like getting this consult because you're like, oh, I just, uh, I don't need to see this. <laughs> um, let me think. Uh, one, one, two things. One thing, mm-hmm. it's not. I think it, for in Kuwait it's valid, yeah. which is a central line consult. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to see it because I feel with the resources we have, mm-hmm. with the ultrasound resources, we should have created something like the book and with the with the internments and residents. Mm. and other residents, including surgical residents, rotating in the intensive care unit. Right. And seeing central lines being put in and actually right. putting some central lines, that they should be able, confident enough, to put central lines on the floor. Oh, right, okay. I've worked with a medical student that's completely surprised. She had so much experience in POCUS. Yeah. Uh, already, as part of her training, she knew more about the ultrasound than I did at her level. Mm-hmm. So the generation is completely changing. Definitely, a uh, lot of my colleagues were obsessed with POCUS during my internal medicine exactly. time. Yeah. So I heard POCUS and you just see them like they're running, they're like, where, where? Where, where, <laughs> and she can <laughs> visualize the heart, uh, yeah. like um, put in an arterial line mm-hmm. with the ultrasound guided, mm-hmm. 
that took me like three years during residency to master. Wow. And she's doing it as a medical student. Wow. And many other people like her. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know someone uh, also as a like assistant registrar level who was t- was teaching during the uh, mm. I- ICU conference just recently, teaching doctors, like senior doctors, how to focus. Um, so that must be an ego boost for the assistant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's going he's going abroad to study medicine. But anyway, oh, okay. uh, so we have the resources. Mm-hmm. So I got frustrated because I feel like everyone should learn the skill, right? And use the utilities we have. So right. that's the main one that I get frust- I get sad because I feel we fail ourselves, right? Like, as as anesthesiologists and other specialists. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so th- that would be your main. Uh, yeah, and just like I, because yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the if question it, asked. If it's yeah. not you, who? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Um, perfect. Awesome. Um, that's pretty much everything that I wanted to nice. discuss Thank with you, you today. Yeah, yeah. You've been an amazing guest. No, you've been amazing. So I, I honestly, I think this shows a great idea. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope it continues, uh, and I'm sure it will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And just keep the coffee uh, pouring. Oh, is that what oh, you say? I don't yeah, know. yeah, uh, no, I love that. Party or that <laughs> we're going to seal that. Okay. We're going to sure. seal that. That's going to keep the coffee pouring. Yeah. I'm going to tag that <laughs> at the end of the, the episodes. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Uh, okay. Thank you so much. Um, you've really opened my eyes to anesthesia because for me, it, before coming in, I, I didn't want to tell you this, of course. Anesthesia was the guy that's kind of waiting at the, uh, besides the surgery, just yeah, waiting yeah. for it. You yeah, know? yeah. Just and behind the curtains. Yeah. Yeah. But you've definitely far, changed my perspective. It's far from the truth. And mm-hmm. if one person listens to the, this podcast and decides to join anesthesia, yeah. I'll, I'll be happy. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know for a fact that you guys are geniuses. I always knew that because of physiology. That was, you know, always, uh, all, already done. But I really appreciated the, the impact on quality of life of patient that you guys are doing. Thank you doing for giving me the time. Great work. To, to Thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. So that's the last sip of coffee for the day, everyone. Uh, a last very special thank you to our guest and please be sure to tune into the uh, doctor's brew next time hope you enjoyed hope you all enjoyed this episode of the doctor's brew new episodes to listen to with a cup of coffee coming your way every sunday on youtube and spotify and be sure to follow us on instagram for all the latest updates see you next time